Welcome to the Cold Brew Podcast. It is March 10th and it is lockout day 99. Eight! It's the final day! It's over! It's, it's over. over! We are back! is back. We have survived. We made it. Dave Gasper, Matt Carroll, reviewing the brew. We're here. We are back. Baseball is back. Matt, I jumped. I, I'm on one foot right now still. <laughs> I jumped out of my chair when I got the Jeff Passan notification that the CBA, they had come to an agreement. Baseball is back. It is such a beautiful thing to say. Oh, it's probably a good thing that I was home alone when that happened. I was go figure. I actually um, had the day off. Like this stuff never happens when I have a day off. Uh, the, this type of news always breaks when I'm at work and having to look like a ridiculous person in front of everyone else, going crazy <laughs> over things they don't even know what's happening yet. Um, but I, I, I was home with the dog, refreshing my phone every 5.6 seconds um, to try and see what was happening. You timed it out. Yeah, I did. I divided it. You know, tried to figure it uh, to to the tenth of a second. But when oh, when that Jeff Passan uh, tweet came out, it was just it was every baseball fan's dream. It is finally back. We are going to have games. We're going to have all the games, all the games. And I was surprised at how fast they actually got back into it. Like having seen what's happened in the past, where you know. Once talks broke down, it had resulted in a few days of nothing. And they jumped right back in it because of how close they were. And thank God they did, because now we can finally, Brewers fans, you can now be at ease. You can break out the good whiskey like I have <laughs> right here. It's called Prohibition Rye or something like that. I don't know. Oh, I don't wow. even, no, I don't even care. It's I, I'm drinking it out of celebration because we have baseball. See, I would love to join you on the alcohol drinking train, but unfortunately, oh, I'm still still on my painkillers for my foot surgery last yeah. week. And mixing painkillers and alcohol is a patently bad idea. Yes, we do not you know? encourage that. Yeah, do do not recommend at all. <laughs> I have not tried it, but I just I do not recommend. <laughs> yeah, nope. I will. No, I am on my it. water here yes. today for the second week in a row. I will be drinking for the both of us. And I'm not complaining about that because oh, I got yeah. something to celebrate. We got baseball. Yeah, finally, it's back. And man, it was a roller coaster of emotions uh, going through the, this Thursday here. Um, you know, with you know the the day before, um, you know the the international draft really kind of uh, coming to the forefront of the negotiations, becoming the big thing. The reports that the players didn't want to do it, um, and then you know the ultimatum. You know, you you must decide by this time. I think it was like five o'clock or something. The players said no, or, or, or they took a little bit longer, but they countered back like a few minutes later. But MLB had already canceled the next week of games. And we're like, oh man, we're like opening days pushed back to the 14th. And, you know, then we wake up this morning and, you know, it's like, oh, these get, these two sides are getting back into it. Um, and then we hear an agreement has been reached on the international draft because the players were super were super opposed to it. Uh, they didn't they did not want this to be rushed into. They wanted some time to think about it. Um, and MLB obliged. And it's like okay, like let's let's delay the decision. Let's talk about this further over the next few months. 
Um, and you know, we'll the internet or the qualifying offer, which was tied to it, uh, we'll suspend that for now. Uh, but if, if we agree to it, we'll permanently get rid of it. Uh, if not, we'll just bring the qualifying offer back. We're not going to reopen the CBA because that was something that uh, the league was trying to do. Um, so then once they got that out of the way, then it seemed like, okay, now that's your big remaining roadblock. All the numbers, the reports on the competitive balance, the minimum salaries, the pre-arbitration pool, uh, those all were super close. Uh, so it's like, okay, like they, they should be getting ready to to get to a deal. And as we started going throughout the day, it's like, okay, more offers going back and forth. They're talking, making some progress. And then Jeff Passan's Twitter account got hacked. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, poor guy. And he, he started retweeting. Like, I, I was sitting there, and you know, I just got my phone up, and obviously I've got Jeff Passan tweet notifications on. And I, I just get, like, eight or like 12 in a row of just like retweets of all these like random NFT things. I'm just like, what the hell is this? And I just keep like swiping it away. I'm like, like, what is going on with my phone? And I see, it's like, wait a minute. Like it's from, I think Jeff passing. Cause like, I don't have any NFT notification, weird things. Cause like they changed the, the profile pick everything. And he re- starts retweeting some NFT bullshit. And <laughs> It was the funniest damn moment of the day. Like, it just provided some comic relief for everyone to just be like, what is going on with Passon? It did. And, of course, he played it out perfectly. His tweet after uh, everything was done, <laughs> like, after the CBA was even ratified by the owners and everything was, hey, remember how I got hacked on the most important day of my professional life or something like that? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Yeah. He like, said, uh, let me, wait, let me pull it up here. Yeah. Um, But he's... But he's like, oh, oh, yeah, like he finished his tweet with, you know, baseball is back. And then he uh, replied in the thread. He's like, you know, so am I. You know, because yep. he was he was hacked there. OK, hold on a second. Pull up the thread. Yeah. I said, yeah. And so am I. And then he said, also got some sweet NFTs if anyone's interested. <laughs> yeah, he did that one, too. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, he's, so, of course, he's a good sport about all of it, even though I would have been pissed. If oh, I'm sure he was behind the scenes, but he right. did not tweet about how p- pissed he was because no. we had more important things because he did not tweet again until he said we have a deal. Baseball is back. Right. Um, and that was the most beautiful tweet uh, of all time. And can, can you imagine being uh, him and you're you're wheeling, dealing, you know, you're working your phones, trying to, you know, officially confirm that baseball is going to be returning now you got to deal with this bull like oh my god now i gotta fix my account and switch my password and like i'm trying to take care of this but now i'm having to fix my twitter yeah That's suck yeah oh my god. I, I i feel for passing there his kill streak is over someone got <laughs> to him man but uh man just uh just provided some uh some comic relief there for everyone i guess but uh yeah. some that yeah, we so- all needed let's be honest Oh yeah. So, you know, we're, we're still like going through the day and, you know, MLB makes a, a proposal. They jump up to, to $50 million in the pre-R bonus pool. They, they, you know, they go up a little bit more on the competitive balance tax and then it's going to a player to the players for a vote. There's, there's 38 votes uh, when it comes to the players and, and ratifying a CBA. And there's eight members of the executive subcommittee. And then there's the 30 player reps. So it goes out to the player reps. The player reps poll their teams, um, and then you know, based on you know what their team poll is, they'll vote yes or no. 
Um, the executive subcommittee guys, they each have a vote. Um, they vote yes or no. And the entire, you know, we're, you know, we're seeing, you know, first some optimisms like, OK, yeah, you know, there's not much for no votes. And then all of a sudden, oh, there's a couple of no votes on the executive subcommittee. Mm. Guys like Max Scherzer and Francisco Lindor and like these big influential guys. And then there's a report that the the executive subcommittee has voted against approving this. And then we're all just like, oh, my God, this is actually not like we're going to get so close and it's not going to happen because the Mets of all yeah. goddamn teams, the Mets, Max Scherzer and, and Francisco Lindor. And they're just like, well, we're concerned about that fourth CBT threshold, about about a threshold, 60 million dollars above the actual like the first CBT threshold, you know, that, that would tax however much overage. They were concerned about that and how it might curb their team's spending. When Steve Cohen himself even said it's like, pff, I mean, if if you guys think it's good for the game, that's fine. But I'm gonna, I'm just going to spend whatever. Yeah. Like, I don't care. Like, it's not going to stop them. And first of all, Scherzer, you're costing them forty three million dollars a season. OK, if you're worried about that, maybe you shouldn't have gone for forty three. But that's beside the point. He does deserve it. But still, like of all the things that happen, the Mets are seemingly trying to derail it at the last minute. Yeah, the only team that would come probably anywhere remotely close to actually even spending close to that in four years. That includes the Dodgers. Like, the Dodgers spend a lot, but the Mets are probably the only team that would even have to worry about it. So, of course, it's their players that are saying, hey, guys, I don't know about this crazy When even their own owner is not worried about it. Yeah, no, because like you said, he's just going to spend no matter what. Like, yeah. Cohen does not care. Yeah, but the, it's it's interesting. It ma- makes you think that, like, that subcommittee was probably this entire time going to vote either all yes or all no. Because how does that, like those two players from the Mets, um, end up in re- resulting in the entire subcommittee voting against it? Like, it's, well, it, that would be my guess, but... yeah, Five of those yeah. eight players are, are Boris clients. Like, like, these players are not just your... Like Brent Suter is not on the executive subcommittee. Guys right. like Suter aren't on there. Right. The executive subcommittee is filled with a lot more of your like star level players, your, your big money players. So for those guys, you know, the CBT is a little bit different because that could actually impact their salaries. For the rank and file guys, it's not really going, you know, the extra CBT isn't going to mean too much as in terms of how much they get paid. But the minimum salary increase, the pre-arbitration bonus pool. Yep. That type of stuff that does impact them, and they like the deal. Um, so they're just like, okay, you know what? We got a we got a really good deal here, and they did. The players did get a good deal out of this, and let's just take it. Let's take 162 games. Let, let's get a full season, so we don't have to fight about you know pay for 154 games and you know getting full salaries there and, and stuff like that. Let's get into spring training. Let's get this underway. We've made some big gains. We've gotten a lot of wins here. Let's get going. And so the rank and file is completely different from the leadership uh, of the PA, uh, of those top end guys. And by a 26 to 12 vote, you, you needed 20. They had they got 26. Um, so so 26 of the 30 teams of the 30 player reps voted yes. The Brewers were one of them. Brent Suter did say yes. He did give a yes vote. Um, the Cardinals were one of the four teams who said no. 
And we can just add that to our laundry list of reasons to dislike the Cardinals. You're just you guys are trying real hard to take the Cubs place as the most hated team from this fan base. You're trying (laughs) so hard. And you know what? I think you're going to get there at some point, Cardinals. Yeah. Like I at, at at some point the the Cubs are they're trying to work their way into irrelevancy uh with this rebuild they're basically starting. So, I mean, we're going to be focused on the Cardinals anyway. You are going to take the place as our most hated rival. So, this only helped your cause. Hurt your cause, yeah. helped your cause, however you want to put it. I don't know. Yeah. But, oh, you God, know who else is on that executive subcommittee? Andrew Miller. St. Louis Cardinal. Oh, yeah. Go figure. Yeah. Andrew explains Miller. a lot. Because because he's going to make crap loads of money someday. He already and did. CBT really affects his... Oh, my God. Andrew Miller is not... You know, he's he's getting old. He's getting up there. He's not in yeah. the, uh, you know, the, the upper echelon of relievers anymore. No. Um, he's still good. Like He's still good, wrong. but he's... He's not... You know, as, as Toby Keith once said, mm. I ain't as good as I once was. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Toba Keith reference here on the Cold Brew Podcast. Yeah, keeping one. it keeping it fresh. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Is Toby Keith really keeping it fresh? I don't know. I don't know. I think he's he's come out with a new album. I think so. Is he seriously? Yeah, for the first time in like five years or so. Is but he's not as good as he once was. So I can't. No, he's not as good as he once was. You know, but he was oh. as good once as he ever was. Anyways, uh, ooh, um, that's right. Anyways, so. Yeah, so then, you know, we, we finally got the, the report that baseball is back. We got it agreed to. I was at work. Uh, I, I was producing um, our uh, our radio show there and for the bumper music coming back from, from commercial break. So I, I got the news during commercial break. Um, so it was just kind of going on. I was scrolling on my phone. Like, the whole, like, pre-show prep and, and whatever, I was just, <laughs> like, going on my phone. Because the show starts at 2. Um, and, and word came down at about like two ten or, or like two fifteen or so that we got a deal. So it was like, you know, a very hectic time there of me just kind of refreshing my phone and everything and so many notifications and oh my God, but, uh, word broke during commercial break. So we come back, like, you know, I tell the host like, oh yeah, this is what happens. Like, you know, it's, it's actually, it, it's not a sports show. So we, we didn't elaborate on baseball, but still. And so we come back. And she's like, oh, yeah, you know, I'll I'll announce it. So the bumper music I played coming back had to be Center Field by John Fogarty. Because yeah. I, you need some baseball-related music to have to, to come back with that and to celebrate throughout the day. Um, and really throughout the show, I played that. I played Glory Days by Bruce Springsteen. Um, you know, Paradise by the Dashboard Light is kind of limited baseball reference, but I mean, it, oh, it's no, in there that's later. Got, yeah, that's got yeah. Phil Rizzuto. I mean, come yeah, on. that's beautiful. Yeah, I I did play that, but yeah, like yeah, you know, some upbeat stuff. I played uh, Enter Sandman, Mariano Rivera's nice. uh, intro music. Um, Hell's Bells. I did not play Hell's oh. Bells. Friends in Low Places, though. Cor- Corbin Ooh. Burns's intro music. Oh, yeah, that's a big surprise. Yeah, yeah, big surprise here. <laughs> Yeah, very uh, very predictable for me, but still. So yeah, just just gotta find ways to celebrate. I'm I'm sitting there, I'm having a great time. Like shows talking about depressing stuff, and I'm just like, this is <laughs> I'm having fun, man. I'm keeping it upbeat. Like we're we're having a great time. Um, but yeah, so you know, then details are coming out, and uh, so uh, let's let's kind of dive into what actually 
happened here and, and the changes with the CBA, uh, how they impact the brewers uh, and things like that. One of the big things to come out of uh, this uh, new CBA that that's really going to impact the brewers is the limit on the number of times teams can option a player to the minors. Previously, you could option a player an unlimited amount of times during a season and you only burn one option, right? You know, you have three option years uh, in your pre-arbitration years. You option them down for, uh, I think if, if they're down to the minors for like 20 days during a season, they burn that, like that is their option year. Um, you can send them up and down however many times you like. But now it is a maximum of five. So teams can only option a player down five times during a season. If they want to option them down a sixth time, they have to be placed on waivers, which would give any other team around the league a chance to claim them. And that, Matt, is a big change that I think is really going to impact how the Brewers manage their bullpen especially. Yeah, as we know, we've we've always referred to it as the AAA shuttle. Um, the Craig Council has always been really flexible with his pitching staff and kind of shifted guys back and forth between uh, the major leagues and AAA, um, trying to keep his guys rested, trying to you know not overwork anyone um, and do everything he can um, to really make the most out of the pitchers that he has available. Um, obviously, yeah, this um, limits that a little bit, but it's it's hard not to argue that this is just obviously better for the players. I mean, it's better for that, you know, that 38th, 39th, 40th man on the roster who, you know, is trying to do everything he can to make his way to the major leagues, pitch in the major leagues as much as possible, um, and not have to, you know, just constantly be on flights, be on buses, be on whatever it is you know, that they do to get back and forth. Um, so now that that eases things up on them a little bit, it's it, it's a big win by the players. Um, and honestly, it I can see council adjust. Council has always been one to adapt to whatever the rules are. He adapted mm-hmm. just fine to the uh, uh, three better minimum. Obviously, you know, we didn't see the bullpen or anything like that take a big hit. We didn't see the pitching numbers take a big hit. Council got around that just fine. He will get around this just fine too. So this is this is good for the players. It's good for their honestly just their their peace of mind um, at least a little bit. Five options is still a lot. Like that mm-hmm. is still quite a bit um, to move a guy back and forth within one year. So um, you you still get quite a flex, bit of flexibility out of it, and I don't see it being too big an issue. Um, but it does affect council strategy i I mean to be honest it it does and really it affects david stearns strategy Mm -hmm. uh with with how he builds his bullpen and builds his roster because you know and and, you know with you talk about you know a lot of options i we're gonna have to look back at some point um you know in in the coming days here at just like how often the brewers sent guys down more than five times in a season Right. Um, you know, that, that'd be something that I'm really curious to see what those numbers are. Perhaps we can report those for you on next week's podcast. But uh, mm-hmm. this news just came down. Um, so we have not had the time to do that, uh, to, to research that yet. But we can look into that. Um, yeah. Well, when it comes to David Stearns building this bullpen, you know, that's going to be a big thing because, you know, he's just kind of gotten a bunch of guys 
uh, knowing he's going to have that shuttle, you know, some some quad A type arms uh, that'll go up and down. Uh, but now that may uh, change his his outlook, and he may try to get maybe some more veteran guys uh, that he uh, can't option down, or um, you know, guys that um, he can you know keep all season long uh, that can be kind of more reliable contributors. Um, or he could just simply load up on even more optional guys and, and just risk, you know, knowing that he's going to have to lose some of them to waivers during the season, um, or keep some of them down there further. Um, David Stearns is smarter than both of us. So we'll, uh, <laughs> kind of let him figure out which path he wants to take there. But, uh, those are a couple of options for him and it's going to impact how he builds this team. Um, I mean, he built it, he prides it on depth. We know that. Um, that's, that's been his thing since day one. So keeping, keeping a very deep group is, is going to be important, but, um, when you limit the number of times you can option someone that can cut into that depth, uh, pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. You wonder if he'll, uh, target a little bit more of those guys who are expected to stay around the majors a little bit more, you know, guys that you expect to, you know, just be, on the team the entire time. And then maybe you only have, you know, a couple different guys that you're, you know, rotating as that end bullpen guy. I don't know. You know, like you said, you know, he's, he's smartest man in the room for sure when it comes to this type of stuff. So he will figure it out. I'm sure he was aware that there was potentially some version of this coming and already started to kind of uh, redo his strategy in building the team around it. Because as we've spoken about a couple of times, um, relief pitching is one of the needs that the Brewers are likely to target now that they can start doing so because lockout's been lifted. Um, yeah. They can use some more depth at that position. So you have to imagine he's been looking at every angle possible in how he's going to build that bullpen. And now that he knows that this rule is officially in place, he can kind of go in that direction that he had plotted out if this were going to end up being a rule. And it now is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, he probably got the word down from Mark Antanasio a while ago that, that they were pushing for this and this was likely to happen. Mark Antanasio uh, is on MLB's Labor Policy Committee, so he's kind of part of that powerful uh, committee dealing with uh, labor negotiations. Uh, we haven't seen Antanasio like, actually there a part of the negotiations, but he is on that board, um, so that does kind of play a part. So Antanasio... Uh, was well aware of what was going on, and I'm sure he was keeping his his president of baseball operations well aware of what was going on and what was likely to happen as well. So um, that's a that's a very important relationship that those guys have. Uh, moving on to another one of the big changes, um, one of my favorite subjects is the MLB draft, sure and is. we have now implemented a draft lottery. And this is something that is new to baseball. We have not had a draft lottery before. Um, it's not new across sports. NHL has a two-pick draft lottery. NBA has a four-pick draft lottery. But Major League Baseball is going from no lottery all the way to six picks. This is the most aggressive draft lottery we've seen in, in professional sports. So the first six picks are completely up for grabs for lottery. Any non-playoff team... All, like all the 18 non-playoff teams have a chance for a top six selection. And, you know, for the Brewers, this really kind of only comes into play if they miss the playoffs. Um, but even if they just miss out on the playoffs for, you know, by like one game or whatever, instead of having the 18th pick, 
they could have the first pick potentially theoretically uh they'd have a chance a chance would be very minimal but they'd have a chance um at that which would be uh, an incredible sight to see but uh, this is really kind of only going to matter once the Brewers are really kind of not a playoff team. And that's also now going to be much more difficult because playoffs have expanded. We've now got 12-team playoffs as well. So that's an extra spot per league. Uh, three wild cards now and, and three division winners. And that just makes it that much easier for the Brewers to make the playoffs. Um, but if they miss it, it makes it that much easier for them to have a number one overall pick. Yeah, I, I'm. First off, I'm glad we didn't get 14 team playoffs. Amen. I, if it meant getting baseball back, sure, I would have taken it. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm just glad it didn't come to that. I'm, I'm good with 12. I really hope we don't have to talk about these ghost wins or whatever. <laughs> I don't think that was part of it. But I also didn't care if they officially decided that or not. So. Ghost um, wins was only a part of 14 team it was 14. discussions. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good. Um, so, so they're fine. Yeah. 12. Great. I can deal with 12. Um, I mean, NBA again has 16. So uh, it's not too that many. that's great. Um, but, it's too many. Right. It is too many. And so 12 better. Um, but as for the draft, um, you know, there's a lot of talk in all of this about how do you try and stop incentivizing tanking? Um, and one of the things they were trying to work with was, was that CBT. How do you, you know, do you add a salary floor? Um, at, what do you raise the CBT to, to where it, um, it, what can you do with, without creating a salary cap that can still stop teams from just, you know, trying to lose, um, so that they can get those high draft picks and everything like that. And the draft lottery is at least somewhat of a way to do that. Um, we've seen in the NBA, I mean, you, you mentioned in your piece, no, it's not exactly like the NBA, but it's the same concept, you know, um, having multiple teams with a chance for, you know, the best picks. And so if you're a team like the Pirates or Orioles recently, let's say, and you're 40 games or so from the end of the season, and you realize you've got a good chance to just not really win a lot and get that, first pick in the draft, it's probably not going to be that hard for you to finish out the season and get exactly that. Now, that is absolutely not a guarantee. You still got a better chance at it, but it is not guaranteed at all. And what I was getting at earlier, we have seen in the NBA teams who have the worst record end up with the third or fourth pick in the draft. It has happened plenty of seasons before. Um, So this is now something that could happen in MLB. To what extent does it stop teams from tanking? I don't know. It's a it's a small step towards it, but it will at least help with it. And so it'll be real interesting, especially in this first one, to see just how this first draft order ends up shaking out um, and how exactly the draft lottery ends up affecting that order. Yeah. And, you know, really, I, th- I think the important thing here is setting the groundwork and, and setting the foundation uh, for anti-tanking stuff and, and the players. You know, this was very important to the players um, and they are, are really, you know, they, you know, they've been anti-tanking for, for a number of years. They, they've seen this and, and they're really against it and they, they want to take some steps to stop it. And, and they feel a draft lottery is a very important step. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, the extent We'll see over these next five years, perhaps after these five years, 
uh, they're going to want to, you know, add some more uh, anti-tanking measures. And that's very possible. But, you know, really, like when it comes down to these, you know, final teams, like, like when we came down to the end of the season last year, it was between the Diamondbacks and the Orioles for the worst record in the league and the number one overall pick in the draft. And the Diamondbacks hit a walk-off home run on the final <laughs> game of the season to ruin their chances at the number one overall pick. But now, like each of the three worst teams have the same percentage chance of getting the number one pick. And it's mm-hmm. 16.5%. Like, like that is your chance to have the number one pick, 16.5%. For for the Orioles and uh, for the Orioles and the Diamondbacks last year, it was 50. It was 50% chance. Like it depends on if they win or or if you win, and and that'll determine how it goes. But the Diamondbacks won, and it was great and it was exciting and good for them. But now instead of just like ah, oh, we're automatically uh, the second pick, and we automatically you know have worse odds and you know, have, have 0% odds to get the number one overall pick. Now you still have a 16 and percent chance. Um, so I, I, th- I think it's, it's certainly a, a very good step to take. Yeah. And, and now in those games at the end of the season, you don't see, you know, players, you know, not caring or not trying or anything like that. Not saying that they don't like athletes are athletes. They're always going to have that competitive drive. They're always going to try to win. Like it's not as simple as players just tanking. Uh, maybe the front office isn't actively trying to make the team better, um, but the players themselves generally are always going to be trying to win. Um, I just hope that we get the same like NBA style draft lottery, like drama. Yeah, exactly. Like they have the lottery show or they actually have the Powerball style ping pong balls and we actually get to see them pick it out. As long as it's not Rob Manford running the show, I, oh my God, I don't no. need to see him do it. We need it. someone with personality. Yeah, like, exactly. I, like, I'm, I'm guessing here, I'm guessing it's going to be run on MLB Network, because, mm-hmm. of course, right. um, that, that's just how they're going to do it, and probably no other channel. It's not going to be on basic cable like ESPN or uh, Fox or anything like that. No. Uh, it's going to be on MLB Network, probably. And probably going to be hosted by like Greg Amsinger or something and, uh, you know, all their top guys. And you're going to have John Smoltz analyzing or whatnot, or you're going to have Dan O'Dowd over there. And, get, you know, get Dan Plesak in there. That would yeah, get, get, yeah, get Danny Plesak. We want some personality. Oh my God, that would be so entertaining. Take this draft lottery and put it in a big old bucket of sassy. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's the only thing that could ever make me miss Matt Elbers. And I like Matt Albers. I did, but yeah, he was not I have a Matt Albers jersey. Yes, by you the way, do. not on yeah. Purpose. That was one of those uh, mystery box uh, jersey yep. things where it's like yeah, it could be anyone. It could be Yelich. It could be Braun. It could be Burns. Nope, it was Matt Albers. <laughs> yep. Man, that at was disappointing. At least there's a fun story behind it. Yeah. Anyways, okay, moving on. Um, also on the uh, draft side of things, the international draft, we talked about that a little bit earlier in the podcast here, uh, how it kind of emerged late as a roadblock, but they've kind of postponed it. Uh, they postponed the decision to July 25th, uh, which is a curious date. You know, Previously, they were talking November 15th, mm-hmm. and then they're like, oh, July 25th is now going to be the time where we have to decide whether we're doing this or not. And this was, I feel... I haven't seen anyone else say this specifically, but this was, I feel, another uh, compromise within a compromise here because 
Um, MLB was trying to push it previously where it's like, okay, we can delay it. But if we decided against it, we, we reopen the CBA in 2024. And the player's like, no, how about we delay it? Um, and then if we don't agree to it by, uh, you know, November 15th, then we just bring back the qualifying offer. But instead now it's July 25th. And if they don't agree to it, they bring back the qualifying offer. And the reason I'm pretty sure is this, that is a week before the trade deadline. And that is when you have your, your free agents, your, your, your rentals, they're going to be gone at the end of the year that you're deciding if you're going to trade them or not. And for the teams that are going to be deciding to trade them, are they going to have a qualifying offer to fall back on if they don't move them? Right. You know, that, that's really kind of the big thing that, that they're going to have to decide. Um, it, they, they're going to want to know, is that there as a fallback if I don't trade my, my impending free agent? Or may give them less incentive um, or more incentive to deal their impending free agent um, if the qualifying offer is no longer there. Um, so that is, I, I think, in a, you know, another compromise they reached. Like, okay, we're still giving it a couple of months. Decide on the international draft. Um, but that, I feel, is the motiva- motivation behind that. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Um, it, it, was, it was interesting to see. The, the whole international draft part of this was so intriguing because we all, as fans, I feel like, found out about this at the very last second, yet um, it had been a part of really every single proposal since the beginning of the CBA talks, even before the lockouts. And a lot of people didn't realize that unless you were really reading deeply into some of the information that had come out um, about the negotiations. I, for one, you know, did not realize that the international draft was being proposed as uh, many times as it was. And so it just blew up when it was found out that that was the hangup um, with the most recent stalled negotiations this week. Um, and it, <laughs> the first idea for it, I think it was MLB that pitched it, was, yeah, with that November 15th date, the stipulation with that November 15th date before it just being plain tied to the qualifying offer was, okay, we'll set November 15th as a date where we have to decide whether or not the international draft is happening. But if we don't decide by then, then we're opening the CBA back up in three years instead of in five years. And oh, by the way, when we do that, we can actually talk about all every single aspect of the CBA. And the players are like, <laughs> no, <laughs> that's not happening. <laughs> so that, but again, like the, that all happened at 11th hour on the second quote unquote deadline. Um, the, the, the infamous MLB self-imposed arbitrary deadlines for having all 162 games. Um, but yeah, then all of this stuff ends up coming to light. People kind of learn what the international draft is proposed to be, all the reasons for it and everything. And it was it was a very intriguing uh, way that everything transpired it, during what uh, right right at, I should say, one of these deadlines. Yeah, it's something that really it, it makes a lot of sense to implement mm-hmm. and the players are against it for a variety of reasons, especially a lot of the Latino players. 
um, who came up through the current system of international free agency uh, through the Dominican Republic, through Venezuela. Uh, the Brewers have had a lot of success on the international front in recent years. Um, but the international system uh, with you know the free agents and signing kids at 16, it is wrought with corruption and abuses. Mm-hmm. And it is horrible right now. I mean, you got kids as young as 12 or 13 years old basically being forced into ver- to take verbal agreements uh, from teams uh, years before they can actually sign. And then, you know, if, if an injury pops up or, you know, they, they sign someone else, you know, you get down to the wire. It's like, oh, we actually don't have enough bonus pool money for you. So we you're going to have to accept a, a $200,000 cut or, or $500,000 cut from your bonus. Um, and you got no, nothing else to do. Like, like there's nothing else you can do but take it because all the other teams have also filled out their bonus pools by then. So you you're just kind of SOL. You're shit out of luck. So it's it's such a problem that there's so much more corrupt stuff going on on the ground with the trainers and um, things like that. And, you know, money under the table. Things need to change uh, with that system. There's a great article in The Athletic that outlined uh, all these issues about a month or so ago. Um, And change needs to happen. So it was curious that the players who are getting abused themselves in this process were the ones that were so against it and then said that they were looking out for the the next generation of players um, with what they were doing against MLB. Um, and it's like, yeah, like, yeah, like I got their fight like throughout the whole thing, but on the international draft, it didn't make sense. Um, you know, David Ortiz had a really good thread about uh, why he's opposed to it and like how they want to delay implementation. It's like, we need to set up an infrastructure for this. And MLB is like, yeah, sure. Like we're not going to start this until 2024. You know, like, like we're not going to have this draft until then. We're going to have like two years. We can plan this out, set up the infrastructure and be good to go. Um, and that's something that's like, oh, hey, that that sounds great. Um, so they're actually, you know, taking them some time. They're going to listen. Uh, so they're going to be working on this. And the draft order, it's not just going to be like reverse order of teams. It's not going to be a lottery. Teams are going to be put into groups of like, I think it's like six or eight or something. Mm-hmm. I saw um, both. Yeah, and they're going to rotate through each year. Um, so it, it's not dependent on big league performance. Um, so the Brewers, you know, once every four or five years, they'll have a chance to pick a top 10 international prospect. And over the past several years, even though they've had success in the international market, they haven't had a like consensus ranked like top 10 prospect. You know, even Hedbert Perez and uh, Luis Medina and uh, Johnny Severino and um, Jackson Churio and Henry Mendez, all those guys that they've signed that have done well, they were not top 10 prospects coming out. Um, so now they'll have a chance to to get a guy like that at least, you know, once every uh, four or five years. And of course, you know, like any draft, sometimes the later guys could end up being better. Who knows? Keep in mind, they're drafting 16 year olds. These are sophomores in high school. You know, like anything can happen with development there. Yeah, absolutely. This is I, I'm the same way. Like I'm from everything I've heard and read, um, because, of course, like as this came up as uh, uh, that big of a subject, I tried to, you know, absorb as much information as I could about it. And I it it's hard for me to see why this isn't a good idea because of, uh, like you said, all the you know, abuses that go on with the young kids and trying to prepare them for this. I don't think I don't think we even touched on 
uh, the performance enhancing drugs that get given to oh, kids yeah. who are, like you said, 12 to 14 years old, which is just ridiculous to try and um, prepare them and make them some money who and, and then, you know, the agents who are getting with these kids super young and um, taking money from them. It's it, it's it, it's not that obviously there's not, you know, a lot of players, you know, benefiting that maybe aren't going through things the right way. But there are a lot of abuses and a lot of corruption that happen with it. And I haven't seen a lot of good counters as to why not to do it. Um, so I, I hope they do ultimately agree on implementing this because I think it would be good for baseball. I would be interested to see really what happens with international scouting for the teams mm-hmm. as a result of this, because now you're not locking into these kids at a super young age and basically knowing that a couple of years down the road, you've got them now, like they are yours um the scouting starts i have to imagine looking like a lot of other scouting where you know you're having to look at all kinds of different players because you don't know who by the time they become eligible to be drafted who's going to be there uh for you to pick and so um it's i i think on top of you know the infrastructure for the countries and things having to change i think that a lot of the teams end up having to rethink their international scouting strategy uh, because of this and it'll be really interesting to see what happens yeah it, it'll absolutely have to change those uh, the international scouting offices and uh the directors and you know you, you're gonna have an international scouting director who runs that draft and uh, all those scouts that report to them because like if they do it it would be you know as, as proposed here a 20 round draft mm-hmm. with a top pick getting equivalent to about what the seventh pick would get in the mlb draft so I mean, it's it's slightly less money, like, overall. But keep in mind, these kids are also two years younger. Uh, so there's a lot more risk uh, in the international market here. Yeah. But that's also where you find guys like Ronald Acuna and Fernando Tatis Jr. and Vlad Guerrero Jr. and uh, Juan Soto and all these studs and, and superstars of the game. That's where you find them. So the, the risk is, is definitely worth it to get a guy like that. And... You know, you're going to have to beef up those scouting departments and, uh, you know, it's going to have to be, have to be its whole thing. You know, have, you know, make it kind of a another event. I mean, that, that's going to involve getting a lot more video, a lot more knowledge um, on those players. And like when these signings happen, there's very little we know outside of like the top 50 or so players mm-hmm. in the international class, at least as of right now. Like, yeah, you know, we got names of players being signed. How much do we know about them? Not much. Right. Um, so at least for, for the general public scouts are, are going to know a bit more, but, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be building it up to, to a whole thing. I mean, it, it, it'd be the same number of rounds as a domestic draft. It would be, uh, a huge thing, uh, for baseball and, you know, I hope it happens. I think it'd be good to, to get rid of that corruption in the system. Uh, I, I think that's important for baseball to do. And, you know, hopefully that, that they can get the players to agree to it. They can listen to the players' voices and their concerns because those players know. Like, like they're on the ground. Like, they know the, know the young players in the country. They know the trainers. They know how the whole system currently works, how it can work, how it should work. What, like, like, they know all of that stuff. So the league is going to need to listen to the players here, address their concerns, and implement what's necessary to make sure that this system is corruption-free. 
um, and it doesn't destroy the baseball community in those areas because that's a lot of the concern I've seen from players that, you know, it would destroy baseball in the Dominican Republic or destroy it in Venezuela, you know, with, with how it's currently set up. Um, similar to, to what happened when Puerto Rico was added to the domestic draft. You don't see a lot of Puerto Rican kids get drafted um, in the domestic one. And, you know, I, I think there's something about the infrastructure of baseball in Puerto Rico that just kind of got destroyed when they were added to the domestic draft. So I think that's what the players are concerned about. Um, but we'll see what happens. I mean, it's going to be a long time before even any of those kids that sign at 16 make it up to the big leagues. Yeah, you hope that MLB really works with um, the structure within those countries to um, make it work with a draft, with an international draft. But by everything that I've seen, um, MLB estimates that at the very least, the same amount of players will end up getting drafted or signed because you are still allowed to sign um, international free agents after the draft. Um, they expect that the same number of players will get signed. And there's actually more money to go around for those players. Mm-hmm. And so really in the end, with that part not being affected, it's all it is is a matter of reworking everything to work with the draft. And so as long as MLB does their part in working with it to make it happen, it, it, it just has to be a better way of working. I don't see yeah. any reason why. Is it going to fix every single problem when it comes to, you know, the corruption and everything going on? No, probably not. But it's going to fix a lot of them. And that is important. It's a good thing. Again, if you're just talking about the well-being of human beings in this, like, it, it mm-hmm. has to be a good thing. Yeah. And I know players want to keep the right to, you know, for, for young guys to choose their own team. You know, like that's very important, like, you know, being able to choose between 30 teams fighting for you and just being assigned one, uh, that that's huge for them. And, and I get that. I understand that. But, you know, also with the system that they have, you know, how much choice do, do they really have? And once they're locked in with one, their choices are, you know, you know, like once you once you have a verbal agreement, your choices are pretty much gone. You know, because then, you know, as you go along, you know, a year or two down the road, you're getting closer to it. If something falls through, you're screwed. Yeah. Straight up. So, you know, I understand the desire for choice, but with, with how it's going now, uh, it, there's just too many issues. Yeah. Um, so moving on to the next big issue uh, that uh, changes, and this is really uh, going to be an important one for the Brewers offense, the universal DH. is here and you know some maybe uh tradition you know some of you listeners may be very traditional um and you don't want the dh some of you may uh want the dh me personally i'm in favor of it um i have been since jimmy nelson uh destroyed his shoulder diving into first base um and we've talked about a lot We've, we've been pretty pro dh on this podcast but it's time, you know, and it's good to see this coming in. And this is really going to give the Brewers an opportunity to boost their offense. Uh, they can get someone else to be the DH, you know, <clears throat> Nelson Cruz, excuse me. <laughs> um, you can go for Kyle Schwarber, you can go for Jorge Soler. You, you could sign a big bat to boost this offense. Um, that would really help. Um, Chris Bryant, he'd be a great fit. It's not going to happen. Uh, <laughs> d- don't get your hopes up. Don't Don't hold your breath for Chris Bryant. No. Um, but yeah, it's, 
it's good to see the DH coming in. And, you know, as much as we may lament the fact that we're not going to see Brandon Woodruff hit a home run off Clayton Kershaw anymore, or Adrian Hauser hit a home run every time he sees Daniel Castano <laughs> of the Marlins, it's time. Yeah, absolutely. And I get that it's a quirky thing that, like, you had half of the half of MLB with the universal or with the designated hitter and half of them without it. But please tell me any other major sport where half the league has a rule and the other half of the league doesn't Mm -hmm. like that is just not a thing that is weird. And there should, it should be level playing field for all the different teams. And also again, my, my, the, one of the biggest reasons I've always been such a proponent for it is that offense is fun. We should want to watch offense. No one wants to watch a pitcher strike out 50% of the time because pitchers strike out 50% of the time. And that's just strikeouts. That's not including all the other ways they manage to get out. It is just more aesthetically pleasing as a baseball fan to watch someone who knows how to hit a ball when they're in the batter's box. So I am good for it. Um, And it will be Real interesting to see what happens uh, with the and how the Brewers address this. Kind of like we've mentioned in the past, like we know the Brewers like to target guys who have uh, who are multifunctional. They can play different positions. They can be utilized in a lot of different ways. Um, but they've also never had to deal with a full-time designated hitter before. They did in 2020. That doesn't count. We try and forget that as a season that existed. Um, but this is new. So you know who's to say that they approach this in the same way that they've approached other positions before I I almost feel like Nelson Cruz has to happen because we've damn near spoken it into existence (laughs) as Brewers fans, not just you and I like so many Brewers fans and analysts. Robert Murray on a previous episode of the Cobra podcast. Yeah. Like talking Nelson Cruz to Milwaukee. It almost just, it, it would be shocking if it didn't happen almost at this point, but if it doesn't, how do the Brewers end up addressing that? Do they end up going with an internal option? Do they just flip-flop Hira and Telez? Do they filter in um, Christian Yelich? Do they try and work in some other guys? If they do it that way, you have to imagine that they still end up having to sign someone else as backup for those positions. Like if it is a Telez hira combination between first base and designated hitter, you still want a third uh, player to back those guys up. Vogelback! player, right? He's still out there. I mean, it's not outside of the realm of possibility, but is it is is that backup Chase Peterson? I'm I'm very thankful for what he did last year. I'm glad to see that he stepped it up. Um, but is he is he your backup for those two positions? I don't know. Um, so do you end up going and getting so do you end up going and getting a guy not necessarily for him to be your designated hitter, but to cover and back up the guys who are going to be your designated hitters. Or do you get someone specifically for that position? They've uh, they've got some strategy to work out here in the offseason. Yeah, and I think if they don't get uh, Nelson Cruz, um, you know, like so, like because Nelson Cruz is pretty much going to be a full time DH. Yeah, uh, he's he's going to be DH every single he day. He is. He is. <laughs> um, but, like, you know, if they went and got a guy like Kyle Schwarber, would, would he be an everyday DH or would they put him at uh, a position, you know, one day mm-hmm. or another? Um, but if they don't get Nelson Cruz, 
I could very easily see Craig Council going with a DH by committee, yeah. uh, rotating through Yelich and Hura and Telez, making sure all those guys get their reps, you know, especially Yelich, you know, with, with his back and, you know, if, oh, if an injury flares up, we can put him at DH. He can still get his ABs, but he doesn't have to play the field and deal with all of that. Hura, they can get him there to get him his ABs because he's going to need some to figure it out offensively because they're going to give him a shot, whether, whether you like it or not. Keston here is going to get a shot to prove himself this year. Um, will it come at DH? Will it come at first base? We'll see. Um, but he's going to get a shot. So I could very easily see a rotating through that. That way you can get Tyrone Taylor some more at bats. You can get uh, Luis Arias more at bats, um, you know, or Jace Peterson or whoever, you know, maybe they, maybe they do sign Chris Bryant. Who knows? And that's a way to get Bryant and Arias some at bats, you know, plenty of different things to do. Here's a random guy. They're not going to sign Chris Bryant. They're, I know. We're, both, we're both saying that right now. Yeah. If they, if, if, if the Brewers decided to do some crazy ass, like we absolutely did not see that coming. And wow, I did not expect do them not to spend say that Freeman. amount. Nope. I did not expect <laughs> them to spend that amount of money type move. My money would be actually on michael conforto oh i could i could see that as it because they could filter him into the outfield and take over because he does have left field experience he played a decent amount of it early on in his career not as much lately um but the mets did filter him in at dh every once in a while um when they played interleague games there i don't think i'm saying this right now i do not think they're going to do that but if if they were going to do a especially with retro on the roster Right, exactly. But we know they love outfielders. Yes, they, they have do. Tyrone Taylor as a fourth outfielder right now, and they have David Dahl kind of in the wings, could be a dark horse. Make I, I If they don't make any other outfield moves, I do think he makes the roster this year. But we know David Stearns loves having tons of outfielders, and having a DH this year means that you can you have an extra position that you can kind of work them into. If they're going to make a like bold holy shit move with money that we didn't even know they had to spend. That's where I would put my money over Chris Bryant. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I still, I still think neither of them are likely. No, um, of course I, I'm, I'm still, on, I'm still on that Nelson Cruz train mm-hmm. um, or even like a Schwarber or a Solaire. Um, but, you know, really third base for the most part is, is fine with mm-hmm. Luis Arias. Um, right field. I mean, you got Renfro now, so the outfield's pretty much set. Renfro's making, you know, solid money. Kane's making big money. Yelch is making big money. Um, that's pretty much locked in. So, second base and shortstop is locked in. Yeah. Um, third base, Arias mostly locked in. Omar Narvaez pretty much locked in. Yeah. First base, and eh, you got a couple of options. I mean, no, neither are super great, but they're probably going to get their their shots. So first base and DH are really kind of your your big things. So yeah, yeah. The I DH actually, is in. Okay, w- but one guy though that maybe I could see as a trade option uh, to to fill that spot to fill that void is Luke Voigt. Yeah, yeah. The Yankees. That, that's a little bit out of a position. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think he was a home run champion in 2020, 2020 in that shortened yep. season. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got big power. He would fit in at Miller Park pretty well, I would imagine. 
Um, and he's reportedly on the trade block. That's someone that I could see them bringing in. Uh, you, and then you have that kind of three-man rotation between first base and DH with Voigt, Telez, and Hira. Yeah, yeah, definitely a way more realistic option. I actually uh, wrote about that one early on in the offseason because there was a rumor that had popped out. I don't even remember which site it came from. Um, where God, it, was, someone it feels tried, like a lifetime ago, back oh when there gosh. was movement. It's ridiculous. It was 99 days ago that, that we had the Hunter Renfro trade. Know. That, you know, we had that frenzy of movement of all the free agent signings and trades. It yeah. feels like a lifetime. Yeah. But someone had thrown out the pass at like, just like, hey, what about this? A Luke Voigt to the Brewers type move. Um, and and I didn't completely hate it. I mean, he's a guy who's mm-hmm. got, well, like you said, he's got some talent. He's shown it in the uh, big leagues before, but he's kind of being worked out of his position uh, in New York. And so I, I don't think they would be opposed to moving him at all. Um, that's, that is a much more realistic possibility at first base in DH than a Chris Bryant or a Michael Conforto, or I, I mean, honestly, even what's more realistic that or uh, Nelson Cruz, I think they've got to be pretty close to the same level. I don't think uh, Nelson Cruz is unattainable by the Brewers at all. I mean, he's up, he's, way up there in age and still somehow managed to pull 30 plus homers in two and a half war <laughs> in his age yeah. 42 season, which is just unbelievable. So, but because he is about to hit 43, um, you know, he's only going to make so much money. So I don't think he's out outside of the realm for the Brewers at all. Um, but going back to Luke Voigt, I think if you're going to look at a potential, trade candidate that's maybe a little more realistic than a Matt Olson that a lot of Brewers fans would love to see happen as well. Um, Luke Voigt might be a little bit more attainable. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Um, Matt Olson. Yeah, that would be uh that would cost a lot. Yes, um, it would. But man, he'd be good. He would be good. Okay. So um, I want to kind of end this podcast here with, with the, a topic kind of looking ahead, you know, you know, we've been talking about the CBA, talking about the changes. Um, but now I want to talk about moving forward here and what we think the, the first move, the, you know, the Brewers still have some moves to make. Um, so let's talk about what we think the first move the Brewers are going to make post lockout here will be. Now we're recording this on Thursday night, and it's going to be coming up here on Thursday morning or Friday morning. So perhaps the Brewers will do something between as we're recording right now and when this goes up, which could make this entire topic irrelevant. <laughs> um, but at the moment, right now, as of uh, man, we're we're getting late into the night here. Um, as of right now, the Brewers have not made a move yet. So Matt, okay, let, let's put some clarification here. We've been talking big on the Nelson Cruz train outside of Nelson Cruz. Ah, yeah. Outside of Nelson Cruz, what do you think is the first move the Brewers make post-lockout? Um, besides signing some minor league player with a non-rister invite that no one's <laughs> ever heard of. They could have done that pre-lockout. They could have. They did. <laughs> well, they yeah. did it during the lockout. Or, or uh, during the lockout, yeah. And they did all of that Pre-CBA. Um, there we go. I'm going to say... Resign Brad Boxberger. Oh, that's okay. what I'm gonna throw out there. There, there's a pair 
of relievers, uh, Brad Boxberger and Hunter Strickland, who were very good for the Brewers last year, one for all of the season, one for half of it, um, who are just sitting out there. Um, and the Brewers could use some bullpen depth, as we've mentioned. And I would love if we're going to bring back one of those old friends. That is one of the ones that I think would fit perfectly. He did great at the back end of that bullpen. You've kind of got that little three-headed monster with him and Devin and Hayter. Um, I, I think it would work well for him. Easier way into the free agents uh, period that has opened back up and then start uh, making your big bangs. Um, that is uh, that's a very interesting choice. I like it. I, I certainly would like seeing Brad Boxberger back. Um, and for me, I'm going to be going so in, in a similar direction. Um, but my choice is going to be that the Brewers sign Tony Watson. Ah, going a little yeah. bit out of the box, a, a left-handed reliever. Uh, was with uh, San Francisco uh, at the end of last year. Uh, started the year with the Angels, got got traded mid-season. Uh, but he's someone doesn't allow hard contact, uh, doesn't allow a lot of walks, solid, reliable veteran, uh, can fill innings in the bullpen, uh, can handle high leverage spots, um, could be your regular seventh inning guy as well, ahead of uh, Williams and Hayter. Um, he's he's remained pretty productive. Uh, he's a pretty productive veteran. Um, so Tony Watson uh, is my choice for who I'd like to see the Brewers sign first. Um, but my backup option, if I'm allowed one here, uh, <laughs> hey, is why not? It's our podcast. Yeah, my my backup option is Hunter Strickland. Nice. Um, you know, I, I could see them going going with him. You know, I, I'm following the similar track there with uh, you know, with what you had with Boxberger bringing back one of their veteran guys from last season. You want Boxberger. I'm feeling Strickland. I don't know why. Maybe just to be opposite here, but uh, I really like Strickland. I think he did uh, an extremely good job last year. He can fill a variety of roles, um, and he's a guy you're not going to have to worry about him going up and down. Pretty steady, pretty consistent, um, and I think he's going to have a lot of success uh, again this year. So uh, I could see him coming back as well. Yeah. Yeah, it, uh, what it all comes down to, again, like we mentioned it a couple times, um, th- they will address the bullpen. It, yeah. Stearns always loves to give himself multiple options. Just look at last spring. I mean, he brought in a bunch of guys like Boxberger who were guys on minor league deals with um, spring training invites and gave all kinds of guys um, chances to make that roster. Boxberger didn't even make the roster to start. He ended up going down um it ended up playing for the minors and then getting called back up just a little bit after the season started so um that goes to show you that he will leave no stone unturned to bring guys in who are going to end up potentially contributing during the season and so it makes sense that he would start off focusing on the bullpen before we hopefully get a classic david stearns bomb because we know we're we're due for one we're gonna get one he's not done that renfro move that was a good move right before the lockout started, but uh, I, th- I think he's got one more in him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and when we had um, uh, Robert Murray on the podcast uh, previously, uh, he kind of teased, you know, something big maybe coming down the line. Uh, you can check out that uh, previous podcast uh, here on the Colbert Pod. Um, but yeah, that's something that I think is definitely going to happen. Uh, Robert Murray also confirmed that they are going to be looking at the bullpen. Uh, they're definitely getting at least uh, somebody. 
Um, and, and you look at it, there's probably, you know, I mean, there's at least one potential, probably two uh, spots in that bullpen that, that are pretty much open uh, for free agent signings or trades, more likely a free agent signing. Um, and all the guys we're talking about here, Boxberger, Strickland, Tony Watson, uh, they're all on our list of 10 free agent reliever targets for the Brewers once the lockout ends up on reviewingthebrew.com. So definitely go search that, check that out. Uh, there are seven more uh, potential reliever mm-hmm. targets on that list, if you can do the math there. Uh, that is <laughs> that is uh, what it looks at. Plenty of targets that, that they could they could go. Plenty of different directions. Um, good fits, solid fits. Um, plenty of ways they can go. Some old friends. Uh, definitely check that out. Check out all the content that we have here on reviewingthebrew.com. And we're gonna have plenty more coming Ooh, yeah. out over these next few days and, and weeks. Baseball is back. We couldn't be more excited. Ooh. We couldn't be happier to no longer just be talking about just lockout stuff <laughs> and the content filler we were doing for the past couple of weeks. Um, if you appreciate it, if you enjoyed it, you know, we, we very much appreciate that. Uh, definitely. And thank um, you for sticking with us during yes, all of that. Yes. Thank you for, for sticking with baseball, despite Rob Manfred trying to murder it. Uh, um, you know, we have made it through to the other side and now we're going to be able to have uh, spring training content, you know, roster battles and um, spring training games and free agency, uh, you know, trades, rumors. We're going to have rumors back. Mm-hmm. I couldn't be more excited for this, Matt. I have been missing my rumors. And it's uh, it, it just does the heart good. You know, it does. I I I miss besides actually going to games. I mean, seeing the players faces on the website like that came back today (laughs) being able to use the mlb video search i mean that has been gone um they they had restricted that to basically oh my god i forgot about that oh it's it's back up you can look it all back up today um all i need to watch some corbin burns starts again that's what i need to do that'd be good for the soul i'd even some corbin burns cutters He's not even on the team anymore, but I'd watch some Avi bombs from last year. He had some yeah. deep shots. Oh, that's just, it's all back. We've got it all back. Spring training will be starting soon. There'll be actual games to watch. And then there will be regular season games to watch. They're going to start a little bit later than we expected, but we got all 162 of them. Yep. We're going to have double headers, uh, nine inning double headers, by yes. the way. No more of these seven inning double headers and no more ghost runner that's on right. second. And extra innings. Nope. It's back to real baseball. Again, yep. unless you hate the designated hitter and, and you feel that's not real baseball. But other than that, it's real baseball. No ghost runners. No seven-inning bullshit doubleheaders. Um, you know, seven-inning complete games. Oh, that counts as a complete game. No, it doesn't. <laughs> um, God, I'm so tired of I was so tired of that freaking argument. Oh, well, it was a complete game. No. It's mm-hmm. No. But now we don't have to anyways, worry about it. Don't have to worry about it. Baseball is back and just does the heart good. Yeah. So that'll do it for us this week. We're going to have a lot more coming out uh, next week on next week's podcast. A lot more coming out on reviewingthebrew.com. Uh, be sure to stay tuned. Follow us at Reviewing the Brew. Follow me at DGasper24. Follow Matt at MKEMatt13. And, uh, 
let's do it. Let, let's get rolling. Baseball's back, and we couldn't be happier. And I know I said that like a dozen times already. <laughs> I don't care. I'm going to keep on saying it because it just it's so good for me to hear it, to hear it be said and know that it's true. Yeah. I know that it's true. So that'll do it for us this week. For Matt Carroll, I'm Dave Gasper. We'll see you next week for another episode of the Cold Brew Podcast.